0: Hello, welcome to Zero On Air. This is episode four. My name is Graham Brown. Today, we're joined by Regional Director Kevin Fitzgerald and special guest Sam Gibb, the founder of venture capital firm Endeavor Ventures. In this episode, we talk about the evolving role of accountants as potential advisors to businesses, how the information and increased transparency provided by Zero can help them advise businesses, and the importance of telling a story through your numbers. We also cover a growing company's options for scaling a business, the advantages of each method, and when's a good time for a business to seek outside investment. All coming up on Zero On Air. We're back. This is Graham, and we are sitting in the Zero offices of Cross Street. I'm joined by Kevin Fitzgerald. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Very good. Good. This is our fourth podcast. I know. It's becoming normal now, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah, Weeky so we've, routine. We've covered quite a lot of ground in the last few podcasts. We've gone into the world of beautiful business. Yep. Do you remember what we talked about? We yes. talked about your partners. Yep. The zero culture. We had some good conversations as well. So yeah. we got into the world of I've been zero. Been join it. Exactly. So good. Well, today we're going to invite somebody else into the world of zero. We have a guest here today, Sam Gibb. Sam, welcome. Hi.
1: Thanks uh thanks for having me today, here Kevin, too. You're welcome. Pretty Hi. excited. Good.
0: Well, we're going to talk about zero startups, investment, and putting all that world together. So, Sam, putting it on the table, you are – well, I know you run an early-stage VC fund now. You come before that from the world of angel investment. And before that, so maybe you can give us a little bit of background.
1: Yeah, so, well, coming out of Hamilton City, the future – I launched my career uh, hedge fund doing long short equities in New Zealand before coming over here, been in Singapore now for, for about seven years uh, and it was in hedge funds and private equity. Uh, I got introduced to angel investing about about six years ago now um, and then over the last kind of 18 months I've just been dig- digging in and getting even more involved which is, which is why I started Endeavour.
0: Yeah. And how many as an angel did you invest in? it's about about 15 now 15 startups
1: yeah and
0: how many of those blew up
1: i've had one blow up so far yeah but the ir is still somewhere between 15 and 60 percent. so overall it's still going all right but yeah Yeah. i've learned some lessons
0: well that's those are the best Mm. lessons though right the blow-ups and i think if you don't have blow-ups to share you haven't really invested have you
1: yeah no exactly i I pride myself on making a lot of mistakes good
0: are you going to share some of those with us today
1: maybe if you're asking the right questions yeah (laughs) okay
0: okay so um i think it's good that we've got kevin here as well to help us sort of put some structure into this when we're understanding startups and also the world of investment because i feel here in singapore obviously the startup industry is in good health it's growing there's a lot of interest in startups yet the angel investment community are really playing catch up there's a lot of people getting into startups but they come maybe from the world of family offices they might be high net worth individuals they Mm -hmm. don't have that kind of sophistication that you might get in silicon valley so maybe um first sam you talk a little bit about what you see as the angel investor community here in singapore and then maybe i'll flip that over to kevin you can talk a little bit about how we can help them get mm. skilled up and what kind of tools that they could use to maybe prevent some blow-ups or do the due diligence better?
1: Yeah, so I'd say when I, when I got involved in the industry, I saw that it was still really nice and it was something that I wanted to be involved in in, in five years and 10 years' time. So I thought I'll start establishing a network, some roots there, start making mistakes at a small scale and, and grow from there. Uh, generally... I've, I've been pretty underwhelmed at the rate that the industry has, has developed with because uh, typically when you think about capital markets they do develop in a backward fashion so you have to have the guys who are getting the exits who are getting the IPOs mm. who then start investing in the B, C companies those guys who are getting the exits then investing in the A's and so on and so forth and so you get that trickle down uh, and you mentioned family offices before too so I mean there's a lot of investors a lot of people interested in the space but then I also think it suffers from the Dunning-Kruger effect where I when people are, they are have relatively little knowledge, they have quite a lot of confidence as to what they can do in the industry and how easy it is because they hear about all their success stories. They're, they're reading the media. They're thinking like, yeah, hey, this is an asymmetric bet. I want to get involved. But as you start to, to peel that onion and do the work, there's, there's actually quite a lot of work that needs to be done and you, you realize how little you really know. Uh, I, I think that's that's really what's missing and that's, that's what's happening in the industry at the moment is people are starting to realize hey there's a little bit more to this how do i really help businesses right. like from an age perspective how, how do i help them grow and what kind of information do i need to be able to do that
0: right i, I mean putting it in the context of accounting for example and accounts we we had a really good conversation i think it was with jonah from mm. jinshan lee so and understanding the concept of using a tool like Zero not to police your business but as a growth tool so if I could look at for example return on net capital mm-hmm. as a founder I can understand of all my activities what leads to growth when you talk to investors as well and um, do investors get that I mean are investors actively seeking out tools or are they not there yet I mean what's the sort of like the zeitgeist out there in Singapore at the moment on the street I don't think the understanding
2: of, of what's there it's kind of a they don't know what they don't know and it's 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 kind of like um well what is accounting you know is it is it because we're trying to stay compliant or is it an opportunity to tell a story about the business or is it an opportunity to learn about the business that either you're running or somebody is investing in and I think that's where there's a there's a gap in the knowledge of of what's actually fundamentally available today and, and that's when we look at you know the, the cloud accounting world and say well with all the API connections, there's so much information flowing around that it's not actually about accounting anymore. It's, a, it's about what information you can grab and tell about the business at a certain point in time. And I would bet that hmm, 80 to 90% of people still don't realize that if you have something like zero connected in Singapore to the, to the leading banks, you have yesterday's information in the platform. Mm. You know, years ago when I was working as an accountant, it would, that time spent at the start could be two or three days to collect that information from the client, from the bank, then get it into a system, then get it into a rich kind of format so you can tell a story. Now it's, it's available. You know, I think that maybe speed to collect information is there that people don't realise
1: just yet. Do you, do you think people just look at accounting as uh, something that's scary because you talk about debits and credits and everyone's like, whoa, I, I, I don't want to touch that, I have no idea about that and i mean the the early evidence that i saw when people were actually using zeros are like it so it's it's so easy to get your head around and i mean there's probably a lot more tools in there that i i don't actually understand now
2: yeah it's a great question i think there's there's two ones to start um have you ever met anybody say they love accounting
1: oh some tax accountants <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, see, you have to, they're, they're a special, right? special breed yeah and
2: then, and then accountants have always apologized to, to be accountants like oh yeah i'm an accountant You know, like the the cool factor has never been there in the industry. The the need and like accounting is kind of seen as I need to work with you to help me pay less tax. Right. You know, it's not. I need to work with you because you'll know my business inside out. You'll be able to help me tell the story. You'll be able to make me watch out for pitfalls. And I think that's changing. And I, I I think ourselves and other players that are in our world are actually making accountants a little bit cooler um as much as we can we can't change the personalities right and i can say that cuz i'm an accountant yeah um but it is it is rapidly changing and i think the the view of accounting is changing and you'll hear plenty of press about accountants are now becoming advisors and doing advisory
0: that's a journey
2: um but i think that's facilitated and enabled by the technology yeah
0: i like this bit you talk about telling stories with numbers can we maybe elaborate a little bit on that I mean, from your perspective? Because I know, Sam, you've mm. also. That well, used
1: to be my job.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that. Because <laughs> yeah, can you be a storyteller as an accountant or what? what's going on here? Oh, I don't think you suddenly
2: transform, right? So I think the, the industry is changing, but I think it's maybe bringing people out of their shell. And I think there's a. Accountants are always very cautious around recommendations. But I think there's the strong accountants that have a you know a desire to help their client are using the information to tell a story better um the ones that are back office and sit there churning through numbers that
1: I, I, that, it's, that won't change that's the thing anyone yeah. can do that job though and the value add really is there and using those tools to, to 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 create something actionable
2: yeah and I, I speak to many many accountants and we had some here in the, the office last night and it was like well why are you different? You know, and it's, it's kind of a challenge because it, many, many accountants' websites are stock photo, you know, services, careers page about us. Like, yeah, we know that. What else can you do? Like, what, why are you different than the, 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 the thousands of other firms that are around and the ones that can tell the story and bring solutions to clients that might have nothing to do with tax? So a lot of it is tax compliance and tax mitigation um, but really, it's well. What else is happening in the business, or what else should I watch out for? Um, what blind spots do I have? So it's kind of having a, you know, a financial buddy in some way. To say, hey, just yeah. k- keep an eye out for this.
1: So I, I knew an accountant yeah. who actually had a uh, business bully on his card. Business bully. Yeah. Oh wow. You know, he'll, he'll he'll keep keep you in line if you're not doing what you should be doing. Yeah. It's, it's, it should be that kind of relationship, though—a coach, cheerleader, bully. But yeah.
2: And it, it, it amazes me as well. Like enough, like I know somebody who had a business and. They, because it was a successful business, they didn't look under the hood, right? So th- these are not the, the, the bad stories of people that fail. This was somebody who was doing really well. Um, but they, what they didn't realize was that I think 82, 83% of their revenue was coming from one customer. They knew it. They knew it uh, in their head, right? They just didn't have the But they didn't have a number on it. And then the relationship soured, and the, the customer went elsewhere. Yeah. And like they, they, they really struggled for a while, right? And, that, and that's an extreme case. But serving up that information to clients is maybe something that they've never thought about before. So I do think there's opportunity for an accountant to do that. And that's really simple information. Like if somebody, if I was running a business and I'm busy out there doing business development or trying to sell, to sit down with my accountant who has the information, they tell me this stuff, might give you a little bit more, you know, opportunity so you can be a bit more deliberate in your directions next.
0: So let's put that into the context of, let's say, a startup, Mm -hmm. an early-stage startup, raising funds with an investor. Let's say it's an individual investor. So let's say they're pre-Series A, they're raising up to a million. A lot of it is going to be based on individual. There's going to be less numbers there. There's less of a track record, maybe, with sales or return on net capital. Maybe they Mm -hmm. don't have that data. So how do you tell stories there? I mean, Sam you know, what works in that situation? Can you tell stories? Can you sort of like pull out numbers and turn that into a cohesive story?
1: Or is it really wing it at that stage? What can you get away with? Uh, yeah, it depends at the stage. Because if, we, if we're really talking about seed, then people are probably going to be investing more around the, the personality, the vision, the market, that kind of stuff. But then, and depending for myself, depending on the stage of that business, uh, what they're trying to do, uh, you know, zero is really the gold standard. So if they want to put that, the processes around that in place earlier on then the fundraising so when they are raising a million dollars when they're raising two three five million dollars then it's going to become a lot easier because they have that track record uh, and they they have the familiarity with the software um, yeah, a lot of the time i'm seeing yes just 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 spreadsheets coming through that are that are promising the world they they might not have any kind of track record except for their their annual financials and that's it's really, really meaningless at the early stage too because the business is changing so frequently. You really do want to be able to see on a month-to-month basis you know, what is happening there and, and where the kind of hits and misses versus what you were expecting. Right. So
0: with the, the startups that are pitched here, and you, you've I know the numbers you've quoted before, like 100 pitch decks a month maybe. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. So you get 100 pitch decks a month. How many of those – that take to the next stage where you're actually having a more active due diligence conversation. Said to you, here's access to my zero. Would that ever happen? Would you expect that? Would you want that?
1: It, 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 it depends on what level of investor you are. So generally, if you're going to be a smaller angel that probably isn't going to be made available to you. However, if you know a larger angel, then yes, this is something. I think this is something that companies should make available, but they they are investors don't don't know about this they don't actually know that they can ask for that wow. um or the the company hasn't actually put in the processes to 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 search that together yet would you ask for it uh as as yeah as we said yeah mm. yeah and like i said i i would expect that i would okay. expect to then to at least have some kind of accounting package something that was easy so I could see it on a month to month basis um yeah, I'd be guiding them towards. Towards zero because mm. it's like it's cheap, right? Like it's 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 not a big line item at all for them, um, and it gives me a little bit more security over what's actually happening in the business. Um, but what do you go in and look for?
0: Do you look for them to produce a report for you, or do you say, "Look, I want this report."
1: <coughs> so, the, all all that I typically ask for is some kind of monthly update. This is this is this is what we did this month. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. This is what we need help with, right? So it gives me some kind of insight. I can typically tell within a couple of months after making an investment. Based on the information that they provide to me, how that's going to turn out—it's—it's—it's it's, it's been pretty consistent, pretty telling. Uh, and the companies that I've invested in that actually do have—and I can tell when the numbers are pulled from zero—and they put them in there as well. It's—it it just gives me another level of confidence too that mm-hmm. they are—they know what's going on in the business. I know what metrics that they're looking at and how they're keeping their finger on the pulse there. Uh, it. it it's it's just that additional level of detail that yeah. gives me as an investor more confidence, yeah.
0: So how, how do we help investors do that? Where Where's the starting point? If I'm an angel investor and I'm in the process maybe of due diligence or maybe you've, you've made an investment, and what should I be doing? Is there something, is there a quick win there? Because maybe I'm not an accountant. I'm sitting with people who are very good with numbers and, mm. you know, spreadsheets here you're very good so like back up a little bit even though I might have money doesn't mean I'm very good at numbers right that's typical that's not necessarily like they don't go together all the time I may have been an exit I may have been a you know I may have been born into money a family office for example so what can I do I think you well, I think the, it's, it's got to be consistent
2: measurement each month you know you said things like what have we tried what's not working what do we need help with but that's that's maybe the commentary that goes with the financial the results, results as well effect, yeah. right so it's kind of like well, well what report could you set up as a you know somebody who's been invested in that you have it ready to give your investor each month? And I think that that's buying goodwill every month as well. Like you're on top of it, you know what you're talking about. You've got the same measurements. You're not late with reporting. You're not chopping and changing measurements every every couple of months, and you're sticking to the same kind of um, focus around what what are the growth metrics for the business. So really, once you have all of the information in there that's sourced from the bank account, like that's the that's the holy grail of accounting, right? Whatever's happening in the bank account, because you might have you might have done a deal for. 200k but if you haven't got paid yet and you're not going to get paid for 90 days you still got to wait for that cash like that's important stuff for an investor to know and i think that's where business owners get really lost between that well you know i've made this sale and i've done this and i've done that well what's hit the bank like what's really important at the at the start i I
1: see that heaps the the modeling's based around the the accrual when they when they make that sale but cash flows can come a lot later yeah i mean there's a lot of government schemes that, that see those cash flows coming a lot later and that means they get a cash crunch a lot before they actually thought they were going to get that cash crunch and then what do they do they boat strap rack up the credit card debt do they go out there and do they raise some kind of bridging round because that can be actually pretty challenging depending on the life yep. the, the the stage of that startup too and it's amazing that, that like that cash flow
2: gap that we took you know mm. whatever you want to call it we spoke about networking capital last time um i see a lot of people get excited because they they sign a, a contract you know and it's kind of like okay so that's a that's that's the story of the business where's the facts and the facts yeah. have got to come back to the numbers um, and I'd encourage any investor <clears throat> you know to, to, to stay on top of that and understand it as well because if you're getting Excel reports they're, they're manufactured right but an accounting system that you know is linked to the bank account can't be messed around with it can like the, you know like people can go in and change reports but f- fundamentally like the, the correct information should be in there from the get go
1: yeah, well, it's definitely going to be better than an Excel sheet, which is almost guaranteed to have transposition errors in it. Yeah, or you can, well, but you can type any numbers you want in there,
0: right? So would that be preferable, for example, with yourself, Sam, somebody actually... Gave you direct access to zero, rather than send you an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah,
1: but I've got to, I've got to qualify this because yeah. then we I, I don't want a heap of overzealous angels who are writing smaller tickets going like Yeah, I have to have access to your <laughs> zero because then if you're if you're an entrepreneur, you're probably going to get a lot of niggly questions around yeah. like Oh, what's this? What's that? Yeah. And it's like, well, hey, I got to buy some computers. I got to buy some IT equipment for the staff. I, I don't. You don't, don't need, need transaction analysis from yeah, an investor, right? Yeah. I, I don't need someone nickel and dime yeah. me and questioning everything yeah. that I'm doing. And, and I think that that is definitely the fear. What What needs to happen is there needs to be a relationship built up, and I think both sides of the table need to work out how best to use the the tools. And yeah. well, what we're seeing right now in Singapore is the investors don't actually understand that 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 could be available to them. And the entrepreneurs probably don't know how best to present that information because they're very scared about getting a lot of questions, getting a lot of pushback, which would detract from them building the business.
0: Yeah. So there's a happy medium, isn't there? What we're sort of arriving at is that, you know, there are a group of reports, maybe something as simple as a cash flow analysis at this stage, a bank statement like in zero. There's a standard management report in there.
2: You can run in less than two minutes,
0: you know, and 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 get it out and type commentary into it. There's no subjectivity in it. Nope. That's the starting point rather than like, you know, let's have a look at your expenses for the month. You don't want that kind of investor. That's obviously somebody who is either uneducated or is going to micromanage that business, right? Yeah. Okay, good. So with that in mind, if you have that relationship between a startup and an investor where they have access to that reporting, how does that change behavior? How does it change it in the sense that does it change the relationship in terms of what an investor can do? how they can advise a startup? Does it change how the startup communicates with the investor?
1: This is a difficult question because it depends on how involved that investor actually wants to be in the business, whether they want to be more laid back, they just want to kind of get some information flow as to what's happening in the business or if they do actually actively want to be involved. uh, Yeah, I'd say as long as there's some OKRs, some KPIs in that report, uh, that's what I'd focus on. The, I, I don't I'd go as far to say that if you're going to present additional numbers uh, like a monthly p l probably not as important quarterly might be somewhat useful uh, is it, this is it, it's a, it's a very difficult question because it depends on that relationship yeah. and it depends on what you're trying to achieve uh, nothing's going to fit every situation here yeah. yeah
0: would it help in the due diligence process pre deal and where would it help? I know you said for example with an angel. Maybe not so much, but a later stage. Maybe yeah, it a later definitely gonna,
1: it's definitely going to help at a later stage. Yeah. And I'd be, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to know what any of the other guys are doing, are not using the software. How they're actually managing, maintaining their mm. accounts, and disseminating that information. If if it's actually at the point where it takes them a month, a month to get that information back, yeah, to then make decisions on that, that's useless. Yeah. Like who's who's doing that these days? I'm sure there are. A You'll be businesses. surprised. Yeah, right. Uh, Probably more than yeah, more than, than we, well, the, the majority. Yeah. You
0: think so? The majority, definitely. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's it, ridiculous. It's, yeah. In this day and age, when you can get the information so easily,
2: uh, yeah. it blows me away. Well, that's why I think, like you know, Microsoft Excel is the the most widely used accounting software in the world. That's never been called an accounting software. Yeah, yeah, you know. And, and Microsoft should probably charge more for it <laughs> because people use it for, for this complex type of scenario yeah. called accounting. It doesn't, have a, it doesn't have a ledger in it. It doesn't have like the general ledger, the, the, the truth system, I guess, that's in accounting. Yeah,
1: I you actually know? think you could start a VC fund that just invested into businesses that had been managed on a spreadsheet previously. Hmm.
0: There you go. Yeah. Well, on yeah. that thought, yeah, yeah. well, yeah. we'll leave that one. We'll see if there's any responses to that one. Somebody might actually be doing that, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. All right. We're gonna um, take a break. We'll be back for the next scene. And um, I want to learn a little bit about, you know, the options available to startups here in Singapore. And you know, not necessarily just fundraising through VCs yep. and angels. Um, can you bootstrap a business? Mm. Is it a credible way of growing a business? And if so, how? And um, oh, there's a lot of pressure. Here in Singapore, isn't there? Going out, raising funds, finding a VC, raising even more funds. It seems to be the de facto. So, hype around it, yeah. Hype is the word. So, let's unpack that a little bit and look at what the options are. Cool. Okay. So, we'll be back. Right. So, we're back. We're going to talk about growing a business, scaling a business, what the options are. So, we mentioned in the last scene, we talked about angel funding, VC funding. But at the end, we also mentioned bootstrapping a business, which is an option for certain types of businesses and importantly for the founders as well, what their objectives are. So maybe we can unpack that a little first and Kevin, you can sort of lay it on the table for us. You know, what is the best way to do this? What kind of tools do I need to have? If I'm really going to grow a business, I need to understand what are the options for me. And then Sam, help us understand why it would suit certain types of businesses know what the best funding routes are so where should we start should we talk about what the options Mm. are we've got vc funding so if you're on a later stage angel investing if you're coming in at friends and family round up to maybe a series a here in singapore or bootstrapping which is really reinvesting the cash of your business into the business to fund growth right um how many you work a lot with businesses kevin and i think you know obviously the investment part of you know the fundraising part has been quite new like mm. 10 years i think really we've been talking about startups fundraising um, angels vcs especially here in asia you came from a more traditional world where probably either you bootstrapped or you went to the bank yeah those are the only options yeah or you factored mm. maybe some of the more traditional options right um do you still see companies doing that hints and do people still go through that sort of traditional route because it seems if you look at the media everybody's raising at the moment yeah but there's no
2: there's no media story and somebody just starting a business right without, without kind of getting an acceleration of funding um, of which there's there's thousands of businesses that start up on their own cash and, and probably run a business off their, their, their current bank account or maybe they've left their corporate and they've gone out and decided to do something that they really feel passionate about or they go to town on a credit card yeah you well, know and, and that's really risky as well and that's a uh, that's actually quite a common thing in Australia, um. You know, you can get credit card limits that are thirty to fifty grand, yeah. and go run a business. and And a lot of businesses, small businesses, are financed on personal credit cards in Aussie. I think we I think we're how you get started. Like you've got to, have, or what's the benefit of of just getting started and running off your own cash? You, you you become probably quite disciplined, and then you start to really question, you know, what are you what are you spending or investing in. How quickly can you get that cash into the business of your old money? Um, And I I think that's where people become business owners in a sense of there's a much more responsible factor over I need to really drive this business and control it and understand it and learn about it and and think of different ways to be a bit more creative about cash flow. Hmm. If you have, if you start with I'm going to get funding, that's totally different. Like, you know, worlds apart from somebody who's willing to scrap and, use it, you know, make the dollar work for itself, right?
1: The founders aren't going to have the same level of grit.
0: Yeah. Does, that, does that come with spending your own money, like investing your own money? Well, I think it does, because I think there's an element of,
2: um, when you give your own money away, you kind of feel a little bit like, oh, yeah, that's gone out of bank now. Always. And, you, yeah. you, you know, it's, it's kind of, you're signing up, you see your, your resources reducing, but if you're going looking for funding, you kind of have a different pool. And I, I do wonder maybe on a, you know, a psychological responsibility level, is there still that preciousness over that cash amount that it's the stuff that you have in your own bank account or it's somebody else's money, mm. yeah. bank or investor?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Mm. I mean, I, I built a business bootstrapping it originally. And even though I had success with that business, even today, I struggle to spend $2 mm.
1: on a coffee yeah so that that mindset is programmed in me yeah I think that's a mindset you either have or you don't have, but then this is also why some of the some of the more successful entrepreneurs the somewhat narcissistic uh, psychopaths they, were they able to they're able to spend other people's money and 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 really go absolutely balls to the wall uh without any doubts or regrets, and sometimes that is going to be enough to get them over that that valley of despair
0: yeah what well, what do you lose when you only bootstrap a business because people have said to me you should raise funds because it's easy to spend your own money you know in the sense that you could end up spending all your savings mm-hmm. or 30 to 50k on a credit card because you're not having to justify it to anybody so maybe you lose a bit of that when you're having to then go and tell the story of your numbers to an investor right because yeah. now you're your own investor therefore you're always going to give yourself the benefit
1: of the doubt. Well, it, de- hmm. it depends how disciplined your investors are and if they're really holding you to account as to what you are doing when you spend your money. Because it, like, like I was saying before, you, the the entrepreneurs need to be given some kind of leeway as well to be able to make their own decisions. So maybe that, that isn't the case. If they lose anything. I'd, I'd say there's definitely times when companies should be raising venture capital and that's when there, maybe maybe there aren't any massive barriers to entry apart from scale and they need to scale, they need to be able to grow that market or that that business requires just a a certain level of scale before it can be successful, then yeah, sure, go out and raise that venture venture capital, but you should have already gone and proven what you can do with that business because if you're trying to raise external capital too early, then you're just going to be diluting yourself, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's what everyone is looking for at the moment because they want to have that hot story. They want to say, hey, yeah, look at me. I've just raised. Well, guess what? You've just given away some of your business. And if you really believed in it, you wouldn't have wanted to give that away. So, Well, if,
2: if, if raising capital shouldn't be a, okay, it's a, it's a point in your journey that's going to help you, but it's not the end, right? And I get a sense that there's people out there who that that is kind of one of the goals, major goals for themselves. Like, okay, if I raise money, everything's going to be okay. It's like actually, the, as soon as you raise that money, you're back to square one. You're starting again. Yep. You got to go again. You got different, you know, people that are looking at your business. You got to prove yourself again, and then you got to really scale, right? Yeah, so yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's it's is it the timing of that, like the the timing of the capital raise as well? Does it, is that something that you really look at? Like should should someone bootstrap for x amount of months, years, mm. and then think about raising, or are they trying to raise from day one?
1: Yeah, no, that definitely plays into it too because if I can see that they've they they've got it to a point where they can credibly say, okay, this is what we're going to be applying that cash to effectively, you know, they're pouring the gas into the tank, they've got mm-hmm. the car, they've got it built, they're, re- they're ready to go, hey, this is the journey that we're going to take, yeah, sure, I want to give you that gas to, to get to the next level but at the same time, the, the journey or life, it's not a tour of gas stations, mm-hmm. right, so it's not just going from fundraise to fundraise, it's actually being able to achieve something with that cash. Uh, Yeah, so that's what I'm looking for. If there's someone who goes, um, "I just need to raise that cash because I need to pay myself a salary because I've come out of this corporate job," it's like, okay, depending on the life stage you're at, I I get that to a certain degree, but that's 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 something that's like a part of it. That should not be the bulk of it.
0: Hmm. Well, what's the ideal situation then if somebody is out there wanting to scale the business and they are now talking to angels? Where where is the sweet spot in that? because there is a conversation that we've had a few times which is often they leave it too late don't they as a founder they're now talking to you because now they need the money and they've only got a month left of burn and if they don't get it we're in trouble right so yeah no sam look help me i need to raise funds so that conversation happens right those guys are, are in trouble but there should be an earlier point in which they engage an investor right and You know, obviously, there's the personal relationship building, but also sharing the numbers, telling the story and so on. What what works in that situation?
1: uh, Kevin was mentioning before about using the the numbers as a storytelling tool. And that's exactly it, right? Because as an investor, I want to understand that narrative. I want to understand how you got from here to there and and what has happened along the way. If you come out and say, hey, I want to raise funds now. I need this much and this is why I need it. It's like, well, that's one data point. I have one data point now. Yeah, okay, I can go back and look at the financials. But at the same time, I have no idea what that journey looked or felt like to you i i don't know what the discussions that you're having with your existing investors or advisors were like i don't know how you you're dealing with things and so it's it's hard but uh, yeah so so again as, as we talked about this it isn't just a trip to the to the bank yeah when you're talking to especially with angel investors with angel investors you should be really looking for more more experience yeah you should be looking to get a partner on board someone who can really help you with the business and i think most if not all of the businesses that i've invested in as an angel they would say yeah like sam 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 is someone that i can come to when i'm in a difficult situation someone that i you know i could speak to in confidence someone that's going to be able to give me some kind of guidance feedback be the cheerleader when i needed it and be the coach when when i need i need to get do you, set straight. Do
2: you help them understand their finances and the like the the actual the, the stories behind the numbers as well or do you expect them just to have it for you Or do they come to you as a partner and somebody that can actually help them grow the business? Like, do you ever sit down and coach them and say, okay, well, let's look at the metrics and the growth metrics and margins and everything like that? Or is that what you would... And have as, as an expectation of somebody that you invest in you
1: know so that's actually an exercise i always mm. go through with any, actually any of the companies if i invest in them or if just, just mentoring advising them yeah it's something i'll do there's a matrix we can put this in the show notes so if you want uh there's a matrix that i use to look at the the various milestones that, that they should be hitting through yep. each of the different stages of their fundraise the cash and where that cash is going to be applied to what features they're going to be able to build out and also the people that they're going to be employing along the way and from that you're effectively combining the pitch deck for whatever it is they're trying to raise at the moment, their financial model, and yeah. then also the pitch deck for the future rounds too. Uh, this is something that isn't really well covered here. Uh, when I was over in the Valley last year talking to someone about this, like how, how do you know? like, If you're writing these kind of tickets, how do you know that that company is actually going to be able to do something mm. meaningful with that cash? It's like, okay, this is, this is this is actually a reasonable question. I should I should have this covered. But you know, you, you look at the model and you're like, okay, I think this makes sense, but do you know if that actually makes sense? And when you, when, you, when you do the exercise of actually writing that down, planning that out, then you can see pretty easily, yes, they will have enough capital to be able to take them to that, that, that next set of milestones or, or not. Okay.
0: Well, what are you looking for in all of that? Because I mean, Kevin asked an interesting question is, is that in, in the individual, are you looking for somebody who has all the answers and has done all their homework, or are you looking for somebody where you can sort of maybe coach them a little bit? And there's a bit of an uplift there in the sense, or you know, because sometimes the ones that have all the answers, and we've seen these guys on on the the pitch circuit, they're really good at what they do, um, and it's difficult to really add some kind of value beyond simply putting in capital, right? Yeah. Because maybe they feel they know everything or maybe they're just really good. Do you, do you look for something in that or what do you tend to
1: look for in the individual itself in that situation? Well, for, for, for one, there's the domain expertise, right? And so if they have a really uh, high level of domain expertise, then I'm not going to be able to add that much around that because mm-hmm. I'm never going to know as much about their business as they do. But then at the same time, you do want to have some kind of a relationship where there's a bit of back and forth, there's some kind of coachability, right? They, generally, I'm looking for whether or not they have a growth mindset or are they fixed? Are they, are they looking to learn different things and adapt? And in that case, then they're typically going to be more open. The guys who are, have a fixed mindset and know it all, and you can tell that pretty quickly, mm. uh, these are the kind of guys who are going to run up against the wall and they're going to try and run through that wall and eventually they're going to find a wall they can't run through. They're not going to listen to anyone else. They're not going to be able to pivot, change, anything like that. And it just, it just ends up being a nightmare for everyone.
0: Yeah. Okay, so one last question. I want to throw yeah. it is to both of you. And a um, bit of a curveball here is that a startup founder may say to both of you, it's like, what do you know? You, you've never actually started a startup and built one yourself. So you, you've never been in my shoes, mm. right? I mean, you've never been here and done this, you know, lived this life, living on Maggie noodles, all those kind of like the myths of startup world. So how can you help me? Because, you know, you've never felt this pain that I've been through. So you must have heard something like that. How, how do you deal with that? Is it correct? Is it? Do you feel that they're they're right in saying that, or are they misguided? Oh, I think they're totally fair,
2: right? Like, you know, if we if we haven't done it, like, you can't be an expert in it. And I'd 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 start with saying, well, I'm I'm not saying I'm an expert, um, but what I can, oh, what I'm saying is I think I can help you, um, and I think that we've got tools that can help you, and the reason why I, I'm confident of that is because well, because of the the I guess the the growth of zero and the need and the the cash flow problems that are out there. I've seen them from when I worked as an accountant and the stresses that business owners would have. Um, and those days the, as an accountant, I was probably a therapist as well. Right. So I've heard enough stories from enough people to know where's the areas that I can help. I'm not trying to be in your shoes, I'm not trying to do everything, um, but I'm just here to give you some help.
0: Yeah. 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 I think it goes back to Sam's point about the growth mindset as well. Yeah. I think Ultimately, good founders, good startup owners are coachable. They're, they're willing to take on this domain expertise from people on the outside as well rather than like you say the fixed mindset they know it well, all this, right? is,
1: this yeah. is what I found after you branded me the Simon Cowell of Southeast Asian Startups <laughs> it's a good brand yeah, yeah. No, yeah. But about people, about people actually is, there's yeah. Two, two brands today that's my favourite one
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't give her an opportunity <laughs> to go there, as <laughs>
1: <know>. <laughs> Yeah, but, but because people have found out that i'm a, a little bit harder they've actually sought me out because they're like well i, I know you're going to shoot me straight and you're going to give me some reasonable fi- feedback and y- you know what Th- these are the founders that i, I do want to work with because these yeah. are the guys that want to they want to iterate they want to adapt and they're sick of everyone telling them they're great they're like well, but how do i get better yeah it's a good mindset to have. Well, I yeah. can't
2: be great, and I can't if, if I'm great with no results. I'm not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Cool. Mm. I'm. I'm really curious as well on the ongoing conversation. And maybe we'll save this for the last scene. Is like there. You know, we've we've talked about the help that startup founders need, and it is a lonely journey as well. You know, I don't want to get pull at your heartstrings, but being a startup founder sometimes it's, it's quite tough because people think only from the outside looking in, mm. that it looks quite glamorous. You're raising mm. money but it's tough, often you don't have people to talk to, Mm. you need a therapist, you need all that kind of support as well, is that right now there are structures out there in the startup ecosystem to kind of help, but I think we're only sort of like taking baby steps into what was really needed. I think a lot of it is people who've come in like the accelerators are Mm. trying to help startups, you have startup coaches trying to help startups, investors trying to do it on their own, but it seems to be maybe it's bringing in you know Mm -hmm. people coming from this angle like from the the accountancy world from the financial world with that structure as well to help startups I think that's something that we need here I know you guys are working on something in that space as well so maybe we'll save that for the last scene okay talk about what we need for the future here in Singapore let's start there yeah Yep. good So we're here at the at the end of the the first four podcasts we have recorded with Zero Zero on air and maybe bringing it all the way back to where we started because when I asked you Kevin about what is it that you do one of the things I think you said was that you help business owners focus on what they should be doing mm. and uh maybe a part of that is understanding what they should be doing is for the, you know, maybe the first part of that journey for a business owner, that they shouldn't be doing administrative work and then putting a price on their time as well. So given the, the conversations that we have, where are we with that now? So now? If I'm a business owner, which I am, how should I be thinking about this? What, sh- what sort of questions should I be challenging myself with? Well, I think one, you should start with what's, it, what's the
2: best use and um, what's the best use of my time? What am I worth? You know, because like, it, it, it's a, basically a case of that if you're the business owner and the leader of the business, pretty much everything's reliant on you. And if you're going to be doing administrative tasks, you've, you've probably made the wrong choice, you know, especially if you're trying to grow a business and scale it. Mm. And it's, it's not a case. I don't think we can completely abolish administration. But if you, you're setting aside hours every week to do it or it's a mental burden to do it. That's that's the wrong choice that you've made. Yeah, um,
0: it's decisions as well. We talked about this. Yeah, yeah decision yeah. fatigue. Yeah. has it's come up a number of times, isn't it? For, it's real. Well, like there's
2: the, so many businesses, and this is not a this is not a new thing that, um, you know, maybe it is the case that it's it, you know it's the male and the family that's out doing it, and the, you know the wife does the, all the the administration at the weekend, or they do it together. What a horrible way to live, yeah. right? Um, and I think that's a really. Um, you know unhealthy way to run a business and actually spend that time and have your weekend maybe when you could be having a break or actually thinking about the business in different ways or doing some business development
1: oh yes yeah, it's, it's definitely the headspace element but then like what i mean what what does zero automate because i saw the other day even even excel now you can take a picture and they'll they'll upload that straight to the spreadsheet yeah Damn Excel. <laughs> um,
0: you're you're promoting them earlier. Right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, it's, it's a, I learned a lot in Excel. It's a great tool, right? Um, but it's, it, it's kind of like, what's the availability of technology that's out there nowadays? And, and you know, we've got um, receipt scanning tools, data capture tools that you can use on your phone, right? So it's, it's as easy as taking a picture on your phone of the receipt or the invoice that you get from a supplier. And actually that information gets straight into Zero. Um, through the ocr technology and and that's available and, and this stuff is cheap you know it's a couple of dollars a month and you don't have to carry around all these invoices you don't have to worry about where they go you've already stored them in the cloud and zero and has unlimited storage you know so it's basically get the get the invoice in there straight away every zero subscription has a unique identifier email address so if somebody emails you a bill like a PDF or anything, you forward it onto your own zero account, and it's in there straight away. And that that's where people get bogged down in the administration as well. And you don't need to sit down and look at an invoice again at the weekend or again at nighttime. You've paid for it. You've moved on. You've made the decision. Let's go. You know, start making it
1: work. It's a massive cognitive cost and touch yep. shifting too. Because if you're, you know, you should be as an entrepreneur, you should be thinking about the big picture. You should really be driving the strategic direction of the business, mm. not not sitting there inputting numbers.
0: Yeah. What, what is that though? What should I be doing? I know strategy is a little bit woolly, what does that real, really mean on a day to day basis? What should I be doing? Not inputting stuff, what would you like to see your founders doing with their time?
1: It, it depends on what stage that they're at with the business but then it is actually going out there, talking to customers, improving the product and executing on the strategy that they said they were going to execute on. Uh, so whether that's, that's sales, whether that's building the product or pull, pulling together partnership agreements, but it's it's going to be something that is going to add a disproportionate amount of value to the business compared to the amount of time that they've put in it and inputting receipts from a shoebox into a spreadsheet definitely is, is not going to create that value.
2: Yeah, and we know, like we, we've we surveyed heaps of SMEs and, and talked to them about how much time it takes to get the information into into the into the zero file or into into a desktop system and some of them are spending 15 hours a month because it's a slow laborious task and you know unless you're in there doing it straight away kind of double checking stuff that's already happened and you know maybe that's good discipline but you know get on with it like start doing different things maybe look at the outcomes of the information that's already in there rather than spending time typing it in or even investing in someone to do this stuff like the, the tech is there to do it you know It just makes it a lot easier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a sweet spot as well, isn't it? I think that as a business owner, a big proportion of the value that you add, and Sam's alluded to this, is talking to people. Yeah. To talk to people, you've got to get out there. To get out there, you've got to make sure that it's all running okay in the engine room. And to do that, you've got to put the processes in place. Yeah. So it's not just about creating workflows to deal with admin it's the upside of what that frees up isn't it yeah by letting go of that you can actually focus on growing a business yeah and that's uh maybe a great point to end this tour through the world of zero as well stage one we've had a really good insight into what you guys are about And we started off with maybe some of the misconceptions about what zero is and what zero isn't. We've gone beyond, you know, you guys are an accounting firm or, you know, into more of what you really do, which is help businesses. And we had some really good conversations with your partners as well and your customers. And um, hopefully we can have more conversations with many of the. The people in your ecosystem out there as well, in definitely, you know, yeah. in coming days, and learn about some of your projects as well. So, especially here in the startup space here in Singapore, I'm excited to see how all that comes together. So, Sam, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Sam yeah. Gibb from Endeavor Ventures and Kevin, you know, been a great co host. Yeah, it's been a Led lot of journey. fun. Yeah. Thank you. Excellent. So that's Kevin Fitzgerald from Zero. We're signing out. You've been listening to Zero on Air with Kevin Fitzgerald. And Sam Gibb, the founder of Endeavor Ventures. Find out more about how cloud accounting can help you achieve success at Zero.com. My name is Graham Brown. Thanks for listening.